Okay, hi, welcome back. Episode 11. How's it going? It's good. It's good. Yeah, good to be back. I did some travel recently, so that was fun. And now we're here talking about our brains. Yeah, neurodiversity at work is coming up for us. So I think it's a good time to to get into it. But like, how is your trip? Tell us about it. It was great. So I went down to a conference all about leadership and coaching with an organization called Better Up, who I actually do some coaching with. And it was really cool. It was a lot of thought leaders and a lot of great conversations, a lot of, you know, interesting people to connect with as well, which I really enjoyed. So yeah, that sounds like it was a blast. Yeah. And it actually was a bit of the trigger for me wanting to talk a little bit about neurodiversity at work because a conference is overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. It can be so like your senses can be like so overwhelmed and there's so many people around. Absolutely. And not only that, but there's often like lights and music and loud noises. And yeah. one of my kind of, I guess, icks is is <laughs> like sudden loud noises. I have a lot of auditory sensitivity. And, you know, that's that's different for everyone. So not everybody has that, but that's how some of my neurodiversity kind of shows up for me is lots of loud noises, lots of conversations I have a hard time kind of keeping track of. And so it was an amazing time, but I was like so ready for silence at the end of each day that it was just like, thank God I had a hotel room all to myself by myself and I could just like take a chocolate bar back there and just be decompress just be yeah Yeah, I have like similar experiences where I after lots of interaction I just find that in order to even just process all the information it's really helpful to just be alone with my thoughts decompress you know maybe watch a little like junk TV for a little bit <laughs> get on Netflix and just and just chill for a bit yeah absolutely and I think that's also a sign of introversion which some people are sometimes surprised that I'm a bit of an introvert because I need that alone time to recharge and I think some of it is like sensitivity to different kind of inputs coming my way and also just a bit of introversion honestly Yeah. I always call myself like a trained extrovert because I can be really extroverted, especially like in the workplace, because, you know, I've always sort of felt like that's what's expected. And, you know, those are the characteristics that stand out to like hiring managers. And, you know, it's like traditionally what is acknowledged or has been acknowledged as like leadership qualities if you're extroverted and you're confident and you you know are displaying these sort of you know extroverted characteristics so I've always been showing up in that way but then am completely and utterly exhausted when I get home and would rather not say a single word the rest of the day (laughs) and almost have to like hype myself up before even like, you know, going into that. But yeah, introvert for sure. That was like corporate life. Bye bye. I remember like every day that I would get home from work, I would sit in my car and scroll on my phone, like Instagram or whatever for at least 20 minutes before I entered the house because I was like, I just need 
to not, to not do anything, to not do anything except for watch or look at these stupid pictures or like to finish listening to the podcast I was listening to, but I just need to not be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree. And you, I also realized like way too late as I started becoming more and more aware of like what's working for me and like wh- how I'm feeling about things. I, I really realized that I actually have a hard time in like big groups. And so like these like big company dinners or big conferences and seminars, you know, I would often be presenting at them, but just that the demand on your like social energy and like your social expenditure is, is so huge. And that I actually really prefer one-on-one kind of, you know, situations or small groups. Um, And because at like the leadership level, it's there's so much of this engagement that you have to do on the regular and a big conference can can be quite draining. Doesn't take away from, you know, like what you could learn from there. And it's, you know, it's not a this is not like a call to like avoid it. It's just, you know, there's some things to think about and to make sure that you're still taking care of yourself and not like overextending yourself in the process, I think. 100%. Like, I got to, like, be in the room with, like, huge thought leaders. Like, one of my favorite podcast hosts, Adam Grant. Like, hearing him talk and, like, you know, hearing some of his ideas and have a conversation, that was really cool. Prince Harry was there. So, you know, he was there talking about his mental fitness and why he believes in coaching. And, like, there was just so many great people there. And I wouldn't trade that in, but it is also, you know, kind of paying attention to what do you need in order to um, thrive in those situations so you can actually take in what you're what you're kind of learning, as well as giving feedback forward. So when I got home, I gave feedback that it would be really great if there were some quieter sessions, like a chill room. And that happens at a lot of places. There'll be like a a sensory break room or just kind of like reflection lounge, those types of things. The other thing is I will never go back again without my earplugs. So I'll definitely bring that. I always bring that to shows and stuff like that where there's going to be a lot of people. I bring the loop earplugs so they're not, they don't like take away every noise. So I can still hear like if I'm seeing a band or if I'm listening to somebody, I can still have a conversation with somebody close, but it takes away all the excess noise. And so I would definitely bring that again. And then also just some self-regulation of like, I'm going to go sit outside now. I'm just going to go away from everybody else and have a chill moment. And that was helpful. But there's definitely some things that can be done and, and to make it more accessible for other people and more open, I guess. Yeah. And like one of the biggest things that was always so stressful for me about these kinds of things is the ability to wake up on time in the morning and like be ready and, you know, have things a little bit like pre-planned. So I'm not so stressed and like, how am I going to get there? You know, and everything's kind of last minute. And when you're like neurodivergent, like, like those sort of organizational things can kind of add some stress sometimes. So, you know, making sure that I, you know, when I'm packing, at the last minute <laughs> that I have a bit of a checklist that I'm like, I'm packing all of these things that I need that I know I'm going to want to have so that I f- like feel a bit more organized and I'm not like scrambling for things and I'm getting like a good night's sleep or whatever I need in the morning, you know, whether that is 
you know, and by no means am I advocating for this, but that once in a while, you know, once or twice a year, if you need to, you know, have an extra Red Bull in the morning ready to go, if that'll make you feel better. You know, those are like some like things that I kind of, you know, help me wake up or make sure that I I take some coffee. You know, if you're not sure if there's going to be coffee at the at the hotel and you're you're definitely not going to have enough time to go get a coffee before the thing starts because like, I don't know, that's my life. So just having something like ready to go. For sure. And I think that the other thing that I always check is how close my hotel is to the venue. And then also so I can plan like how much time I'm going to need. Am I going to need to take like an Uber or whatnot? And I also look where's the closest like convenience store or drugstore or whatever, because inevitably I will forget something. Yeah. So, yeah. So when we talk about neurodivergency, what does that mean to you, Inga? You know, I think there's a spectrum and it can mean, I think typically, commonly, it is like referred to things like ADHD or, you know, any of the like behavioral disorders or behavioral like magic that we have going on. It can also sometimes people refer to that in terms of being on the autism spectrum or or OCD or, you know, any kind of personality or sort of like brain function on the spectrum is at least, I think, how we refer to it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's cognitively your brain works differently. So you're right. Like it is ADHD. That's how it shows up for both of us. But it is also things like dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculation, dyscalculia, (laughs) and autism. (laughs) And autism. So it's like, you know, it's just kind of talking about how the neuro is different. So it's a different brain. It's not a broken brain. It's not that you're got a bad brain. And I really had to kind of, I always thought that I had a broken brain, but it's not, it just works differently. It's different. Yeah. And I would say I've done a lot of work in the last few years and especially very recently, I think it started slow, you know, trying to figure out how to best work with this. I think getting a diagnosis, you know, has helped a lot. Getting on the right medication has helped a lot. Doing, you know, some of those like brain therapies and, you know, cognitive sort of exercises has has helped a lot. Meditation, manifestation, all of those kinds of things. But I would say recently it's been, it's been really validating for me. And I think the way that I have been able to work best with it is to really see it as a strength, as like the source of my creativity, the source of my power and sort of the source of of a lot of like the good things in my life. And I just refuse to think about it as different or negative or, or anything like that anymore. I think it's a superpower. Absolutely. And the system we live in hasn't been set up to nurture that superpower. So there's a lot of things in the workplace that don't necessarily that that just make it harder for people who are neurodivergent to function. And so there's a lot of ways that you can ask for accommodations, you can, you know, make adjustments, all of those things to make it a little bit easier for you. So I remember being 12 years old and asking my mom, "Well, do you think that it's ADHD that you have?" or that I have because my younger sister had been diagnosed and she was super hyperactive and disruptive. I was not, but I couldn't focus. And so everybody said, well, no, you're so good. But I remember being like, yeah, no, my brain works differently. 
And knowing that like all the way through school, I struggled with school. I struggled with remembering anything. I struggled with kind of focus. Reading has always been a huge, huge opportunity for me. And so I found myself in retail because I got to use my leadership through my words and through my messages and working with people. And, you know, it took advantage of my superpower. And it wasn't until I went into like more of a corporate role where I was having to do like spreadsheets and sit at a desk in an open office and all of those things that I realized, wow, this is something with my brain. And I had gone back to school so that I could get some certifications for my HR and and that sort of stuff. And so I, I went to a I went to a therapist and I said, you know, I think that I have a learning disability of some sort. I can't read and actually take it in. Like I have such a hard time reading the content that I need to know and then be able to turn around and actually remember it. Whereas if I have a conversation, no problem. And there was some other things. And he asked me a bunch of questions and went through, you know, a bit of a checklist. And I just remember him looking at me. He's like, what's your house like? And I'm like, why? Why do you need to know that? I just can't read. Why? And he's like, well, just tell me, like, do you struggle with your home? I'm like, yes, because it's usually a fucking gong show. Yeah. <laughs> and like that was like, yeah. And so after some time, you know, he's like, yeah, I think this is ADHD. And I'm like, in my back of my head, I'm like, I knew it. But it kind of opened up so many things to me. And now I think about what are the things that I could have done to accommodate and be more successful early. But also, here's all the things that I adapted that I learned about myself. What was yeah. your journey? Oh, man, it was like your when you just talked about the like open office, I like instantly was like, mm, that is like any I think like person with ADHD is like there there's like their worst nightmare, like so noisy, so much distraction. For me, it really was many, many, many years of masking sort of, you know, feeling really bad about you know, going through periods when I'm super hyper focused, like I would be a machine, but then I would burn out really quickly and then be depressed and really struggle again, also like with memory. And it wasn't as bad in my 20s, but now in my 30s, it's like, you know, I have a whole like management system now set up for like remembering things and, but also just sort of documenting my ideas. And because the thoughts come so quickly and your ideas and creativity come so quickly that it's almost like the second they're there, they're gone. So, you know, you kind of like learn to adapt. But for me, it was some of those same things. Like I struggled to read. I struggled in school. Same thing. You know, I was like, hey, I think I need like extra time for my exams. I, you know, I'm like, I'm just, it's not that I don't know the information. It's just that I'm so slow with like writing it and like having to read this, the questions like over and over because it just like doesn't stick in my head. But because the expectations were so high in my family that, you know, I it was expected that you get good grades and there's really no alternative. It's, you know, you have to do well at school. You have to be academic and you have to go to university and, you know, you can't go to university if you don't have good grades. So, you know, it was like all of those all of those pressures. And I just got to a point, you know, after my divorce where like a big stressor in my life, which was that period of time really where I still had like the willpower and the energy to just like push through and keep the mask on. 
the second I had like a really big traumatic, you know, experience in my life, it really exposed a lot of the things that I was really struggling with. And I could no longer just use like sheer willpower to get through it. And so I started looking for, you know, ways that I could, you know, what is this? And at first was misdiagnosed with depression, you know, went several years on depression medication and it didn't help. And I was just like, there's this, this is no way to live. You know, I just can't, this is like, it's not helping. And so a lot of self-advocacy, a lot of research, a lot of like finding community and realizing that there are so many other women that struggle with the same symptoms, the same behaviors. And I started feeling more normal. And I like always loved the side of me that was like hyper productive, hyper focused. You know, I was super creative, had a lot of ideas, loved exploring my ideas, super curious and like just couldn't find the right environment where that could really thrive on a sustainable level. And I just started like talking to my doctor and, you know, started talking to a naturopath and advocated for myself, got some tests done, got on medication. It took a few to like get to the right one. I think that's common, you know, everybody's different and but you have to start the process, I think, you know, and I think my biggest mistake was thinking that there was like one thing, there was like a silver bullet. Like I was searching for this one thing that was going to fix me, that was going to like make me feel better, make me feel better about myself. And the truth is there is no silver, there is no one thing like neurodivergency is it's like multifaceted and there are multi layers of things that make you whole. And, you know, medication is one, like I said, potentially, you know, talk to your doctor, but there was also a string of other things, diet, weight, micronutrients, hormones, hormones is a big one, you know, your cortisol has also a huge impact on like ADHD symptoms and stuff too. So, you know, it's a big impact, like my brain health, direct neurofeedback, therapy, like it's, it's, there's no, they all stack. And for me, that was the solution was it's multifaceted, multilayered, a lot of dedication to getting there. And I would say, you know, I'm still on that path, but I, I feel stronger than ever and I feel better than ever. And I think that it's, Approaching it with self-compassion because, yeah. it, you know, you're still going to have rough days. And I think you said a couple things there, uh, you know, being misdiagnosed with depression and it's possible to have both. And, you know, ADHD kind of often has a comorbidity with depression and anxiety. And so I've been diagnosed with all three at different times in my life and had to treat them, you know, differently. But it's kind of looking at that root cause. And then also that it is different for every single person. You know, it's not just this is what this looks like. So many people think that it is just about, you know, inattention, inability to kind of focus that kind of jittery kid that just wants to bounce off the walls. And sometimes with other people, it's very different. There's a lot of emotional and social aspects to ADHD that is not as understood, you know, and I, I know for myself, a lot of that was some of the biggest impacts for me when I realized that rejection sensitivity dysphoria was something that was real. And I was like, oh, I've just always been told I'm too sensitive and too needy and all these mm -hmm. things. And it's like, no, sometimes it is like uh, actually something with your brain or object permanence. If something's not 
visible, I forget it exists. And so sometimes that means friends. I mean, you and me, I mean, we, we understand each other, but we've gone like a year without talking and been like, hey, what's up? No hard feelings. No, whatever. Like, I know you're going to forget my birthday and that's fine. And I'll probably do the same and then we'll catch up a day later. And then it's like, no problem. Whereas like other people in my life have been like, you forgot my birthday. I'm not your friend anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's that just is it, it has nothing to do with like how you feel or like how much love you have or gratitude. It just is a brain dysfunction. And yeah, I'm like no longer also going to like apologize for who I am. You know, if if I miss something, I apologize. If I, you know, made someone feel bad. Like I apologize, but it's, I'm not going to feel bad about myself because of it. Like I made a mistake, but my brain just like works different. And, and so I'm giving myself a lot more grace these days as well. Yeah. So let's talk about work accommodations that could help somebody who is neurodiverse. Um, And so there's like a few different areas that really show up at work and they are like inattention and distractibility. So that kind of, you know, challenge to focus and pay attention. Um, Impulsivity. So quite often folks with ADHD, they just they just respond without thinking through. They interrupt those types of things. Time management. So, you know, we were talking about hyper focus. Oh, yeah. Like if I get into something all of a sudden it's three hours later and I've been Mm -hmm. watching videos of Fleetwood Mac to see the dynamics between Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham on TikTok. It it happened last night. So like there's ways that that can be distracting at work too. I go down a rabbit hole and all of a sudden like it's, I've missed a meeting or something like that. So time management, poor working memory, you know, that is a tough one. Remembering things can be really, really tough. And then like, you know, interpersonal social activities, procrastination. So there's all these different areas that can be really challenging at work. What would be, for you, what would be the biggest, I guess, meaningful or impactful accommodations that would help you or did help you as you were working? Number one, like without a shadow of a doubt is like showing up for work at like not 9 (laughs) a.m. Having flexible start and end times is 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 like huge for me. And, you know, luckily I was in management for most of my career in leadership. So, you know, I worked the job, not the hours necessarily, but there were definitely times where I felt like, you know, it's important that you're there when everyone else is there. You're in the trenches with them and it, you know, builds camaraderie and teamwork and that kind of stuff. But it wasn't always possible for me. So having, and I think there's still a lot of rigidity around, like start and end times. I think, especially if you're in leadership, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, it's usually opposite ends of the spectrum. It's like either they come and go when they want, and that creates a bad impression on your employees. If you're just like in and out, or, you know, you, you get there before everyone else, you're like the first person to arrive and the last person to leave. And I think both of those extremes are unhealthy. So for me, like number one, neurodivergent people, you know, are not necessarily don't see time the same way, don't experience time the same way. And so being flexible with start and end times and focusing more on outcomes rather than, you know, 
the exact minute you arrive or, you know, can the job be set up so that other people are not necessarily relying on you being there at a certain time or just having that start time be more flexible and not maybe 7 or 8 a.m. Maybe it's okay to start at 10 or 11 a.m. Or, you know, that being said, I don't think I've ever been on time for anything in my entire life. So there's also that. And there is challenge because as a manager, like if you are working in an environment where other people are waiting, that can be tough because people are waiting to take their break or or whatnot. And so working with the person to find out, like, when are you at your best? And for some people, that is the morning. Like I was on time. I am always on time for work. So that's where it's different. But I actually am better in the morning. And so for me, that would be my accommodation where for you, you would be better later on so that you have a bit more flexible time in the morning. Yeah, I need I do my best work between midnight and 3 a.m. So that's when I want to work. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you're on your own. Yeah. All right. So like flexible time for starting. One thing that has been really, really beneficial for me is, you know, a quiet time. And so when I was working in retail, I would make sure to bring my headphones. And so then I would actually, instead of going out to like a restaurant or whatnot or into the mall, God, that is the worst idea ever. I would have some quiet time in the back room and I would use headphones to make sure that I actually had that. And then working in an office, I got noise canceling headphones and then was able to kind of share with others that if I have my headphones on, that means that I'm not open for a conversation because if you distract me, I'll probably lose all momentum going forward. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, being able to be flexible with break times, I think as well is, you know, because you might need to like eat more frequently or even like for break times, like having a space or somewhere where they can like let off like some energy or be able to leave like the facility or, you know, something like that, because the hyperactivity part of at least for ADHD can be like very externally physical, but it's the hyperactivity is also in the brain, right? So it can be attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is not just the, the like typical poster child for ADHD is that like crazy person running around, you know, can't sit still fidgety, but that's only half of the story. The other half is actually, it's like the hyperactivity in your brain, which is why often a lot of like neurodivergent people like struggle with sleep and like sleeping on time and having a set like sleep schedule and routine because the, your brain is just keeps going, going, going. So it can also be helpful you know, if you need that like physical, you know, if you're sitting at a desk, but really you need to blow off some steam or, you know, be able to go for a walk or or regularly be able to get up and not that be seen as like you're, you know, you're just messing around or you're just like looking for things to do, but being flexible with, you know, how, how you take breaks and, and how you can, you know, be not like building up this like anxiety because at your desk, because you can't, you know, it looks bad to leave and like go for a like a quick walk or something. Yeah. And I think the last kind of thing to wrap it up, because we're coming to the end of our time here, is clear, consistent and kind feedback. And, you know, that should be for everyone. But if you're a manager and chances are you're going to manage somebody with ADHD or other neurodiversities or just, you know, somebody who just needs a little bit of compassion. And so 
really kind of leaning into how can you show up as a manager who is kind, compassionate, and who is very, very clear with both their expectations and feedback. I remember back in, this is like 10 years ago, and I was like upset about something. I had been asked to do something, take the lead on something. And then my boss came back and said, actually, we're going to get you to do it with this person. How I took it was, well, what? I'm not good enough now. Whereas they saw it as this person would benefit from you working together on this. And it's great to work together and all that kind of stuff. But I actually took it as they don't trust me to do this. And I took it very, very personally. And so I showed up with just kind of a stink on my shoulder, like just kind of like bitch face. Like, and I look back and I remember her saying like, you are in not a great space right now. I don't know what's going on, but I also didn't understand it. And so being clear and saying like, this is what is showing up can actually help somebody realize, okay, I didn't realize that I was showing up in that way, or "Mm, maybe I should look into this, those types of things. So yeah, it was just one of those things where I look back now and I'm like, hmm, There's that rejection sensitivity. I thought I wasn't good enough. And so I got upset. And then I showed up poorly. So really, I wasn't the right person for that role at that point. And it took quite a long time to kind of get over those or, you know, really be tap into my self-awareness. So, so yeah, so clear, consistent and kind feedback on a regular basis from your manager. And I think that, you know, like there's coaches and stuff like that who work with people who are neurodiverse or therapists. There's all sorts of people. So if you are looking for more kind of feedback because you're not getting it from a leader, there's resources out there. And if you just look up ADHD accommodations, you're going to get all sorts of ideas, which kind of blew my mind as well. Yeah. Good sesh. Yeah. I feel like we covered a lot. Well, and right now is actually Neurodiversity Awareness Week. So when this comes out, it'll be two weeks later. But that's also why I saw so much stuff. And I was like, "Ooh, great things. So definitely look up Neurodiversity Accommodation at work. And you're going to find so many great resources about what you can do to make your work situation even better. Love it. Okay. well, I think that's a wrap. Yeah, it is. That's it. So we will see you next week. And in the meantime, be a leaner, not a wiener. 